friends, I'm sorry I haven't a clue. The antidote to panel game. And the piano is Dave Lee and your chairman is Humphrey Littleton. Thank you very much. And the eager participants in this contest are, on the one hand, Tim Brooke Taylor and William Rushton. And they'll be competing against Barry Cryer and Graham Garden. My job is to keep the score or give points or something. So here we go with round one, which is our game called Sound Charades. One team has to make noises and the other team must guess what they mean. <laughs> the audience are let into the secret by way of a, of a board, which we show them in here. And incidentally, those of you at home will hear a disembodied voice giving you the answer. And you in the audience here in the studio can help by applauding when they're getting warmer and doing whatever you think comes naturally when they're not. <laughs> Tim and Willie, yours is the first charade, so while you tell um, Graham and Barry how many words it is, uh, it'll be shown to our audience on a board. And Tim and Willie's charade is the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. It's three words, one of very little consequence. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't fool me for an instant. enormous importance. <laughs> It's, it's a film, it's also something else, but we're not going to tell you what that is, because it might give it away. Dancer. Sit, beg, you, wet, put that postman down. Eat your giblets, come, go, die for queen. <laughs> I don't believe that last one either. Die for the queen, the royal command. Terroristic. <laughs> That wasn't it, but uh, the audience thinks you're somewhere near. Something command. That's what we meant. Oh, you meant ten commandments. Well, you can tell Barry out there, you know. Once again, the uh, man with the board is coming round to show you, and the man with the voice is going to tell you at home what this one is. Barry and Graham's charade is Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> Barry and Graham, how many words? Three words. Right. Do your charade. What is it? A book. A book. Here it comes. Look at all those lions over there. I am very sorry, but I just can't stand lions. <laughs> Daniel? Well, <laughs> lions is helpful, is it? I mean, lions... Enormously, yeah. They yes. said it a lot. It's the Marquis of Bath. Uh, well, Willie, I think you've got this one, haven't you? <laughs> I don't even remember it now. Um, Leo... The lions. It's not a pun on the word lions, is it? It's just no. that lions are in it. Pride. Pride and Prejudice. Oh. 
right, well, Tim and Willie have got three and a half for that round, and Barry and Graham have got three. And at this point, which seems like halfway through the programme, this is where I introduce a round that's played at the end of the programme in order to give the teams time now to think of silly names for people arriving at the Booksellers' Ball. The Booksellers' Ball. Right, and now we go on to a new round, and this one should be uh, uh, culturally uh, elevating. It's a musical round, and I want you... Uh, to sing in teams, this is two, two at a time, a snatch of grand opera from a selected libretto, <laughs> libretto which I shall give you. We're going to start with Barry and Graham. Barry and Graham, your extract comes from Mrs. Beaton's Cookery and Household Management, <laughs> the section devoted to braised sheep's tongues. Dave Lee will give you the introduction, and if you'll... Uh, Give us uh, your operatic version. Thank you, Humphrey. And by the way, I think you're doing a marvellous job as chairman of this program. <laughs> On a tightly fitting lid and dust for ten minutes over a very low heat. Pass for ten minutes. Pass for ten minutes. Pass for ten minutes. Pass for ten minutes. For ten minutes. Ten minutes. Lay the tongues on top. Bouquet garni, peppercorns and enough stock almost to cover the vegetables. Place the bacon on top of the tongue. Cover with grease, grease, poop, paper and the lid. And cook gently for about two Thank you, Barry, for your opening remarks there. You get ten marks. <laughs> now then, Tim and Willie, yours comes from not Mrs. Beaton this time, but from Miss Blyton. <laughs> and the chapter concerned is headed, Where is Big Ears? By right, Dave Lee once again with the introduction. Hello. Hello. <laughs> no, I'm not much hurt. I fell off my bicycle when it went over the big stone. I'm afraid it's got a bit damaged. I'm looking for my poor old pussy. 
a kiss when you see her now. <laughs> then everything will be all right. Come along, Hostel Toy Class now. Less, oh. less. Partly for sheer musicianship, <laughs> and partly because you didn't preface that performance with smarmy remarks to the chairman, I'm going to give you 15. <laughs> 15? <laughs> and we go on hurriedly to the round which is called Bedtime Story. And for this round, I want one of the members of a team to make up a bedtime story. From time to time, he'll give his partner a signal for a suitable sound effect to reinforce the dramatic effect of the narrative. For extra excitement, the person doing the effects will be wearing headphones with music playing so as to prevent him from hearing the story. I shall give uh, you, Tim and Willie, a, a, a theme for your story. Tim, I understand you're coming out front to work the uh, yes. sound effects, and Willie will be telling the story and cueing you for those effects. <laughs> Willie, I want your story to involve a grandmother, a kangaroo, and a hovercraft. <laughs> One fine day, Granny, a failed kleptomaniac, <laughs> contemplated escaping from her tiny little woodland home because the fuzz were hot on her heels. <laughs> she could hear them coming. <laughs> Spanish policeman. <laughs> but then Granny was very old and very wise, been gun running for years between ten years and Alcatraz or wherever that place is on the south coast. In fact, you could hear her gun running. Evening, oh. <laughs> the Spanish are forced every now and then to recruit British officers. She decided that she must get back to her old home and beauty in England. She could almost hear the peace of her little cottage in Hertfordshire. <laughs> the most virile cuckoos in the world. Proudly <laughs> about. But how was she to get there? Hovercraft, she thought. Alas, she saw the hovercraft coming across the Mediterranean towards her, and she heard this dismal sound. <laughs> Not for me, she thought. <laughs> and started looking around for some alternative method of transport. Well, by some strange meeting between a camel and, um, some form of leaping beast whose name I forget, but who had mated these delightful strains. Give us a delightful strain. <laughs> I know, it, was a, it was a camel and a praying mantis. They had produced a kangaroo. So Granny slipped into the pocket, and in her little kangaroo, she set off home. Just like that. <laughs> Well, from the audience reaction, I give you eight out of ten for that. And we go over now to Barry and Graham. Barry, you're doing the sound yes. effects. Graham, you're doing the story, which uh, has to involve Rupert Bear, oh. a death ray, and a banana. <laughs> it was a bright, sunny day when Rupert Bear visited his uncle's farmyard. 
There was Rover, the old sheepdog. And over there, Clarence the... <laughs> Clarence the hen with a cough. <laughs> and other problems. Good morning, Clarence. Good morning, Clarence, cried Rupert. And Clarence replied. Shut that door. Bearing out some of the problems I mentioned earlier. Bearing out. Rupert had come to see his uncle's death ray. And why not? But as he walked across the farmyard he could see Daisy the cow in the meadow said Daisy and up in the hill he could hear the sheep bleating and down in the valleys the artichokes down in the valleys the artichokes were going cheek 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 meanwhile meanwhile back in the farmhouse Rupert's uncle leaned out of the window and shouted Nice to see you, to see you, nice! Good morning, Uncle Eamon, cried Rupert. I've come to see a death ray. Have a banana. Thank you very much. And why not? Rupert's uncle peeled the banana, which made a curious noise, rather like this. How strange, thought Rupert, but said nothing of it at the time, wishing only to see the death ray. It's in this cupboard, said his uncle, and opened the door. Three times, four times. Rupert was amazed by what he saw before him, an enormous machine with whirling dials and flashing lights, and enormous electric sparks that leapt and crackled and went. Ooh. Never had he seen such gay sparks. <laughs> Let me switch it on for you, said Rupert's uncle. What, said Rupert? Oh, I see. <laughs> so saying, his uncle threw a switch. <laughs> straight through the window. <laughs> <laughs> said Rupert and I agreed with him <laughs> for he had been standing in the path of the death ray and the last thing that Rupert said before he disintegrated in a small pile of dust was at the third stroke <laughs> it will be four precisely thank you Graham and Barry well, following on an objection from the other side, I've had to take off six marks for cheating, but I've given you eight for getting away with it, so that brings you to <laughs> 13 and a half, and it brings the scores level to 26 and a half each. Uh -huh. We have the, the game now, which is called Adlib Poem. The team's going to make up a poem. Each team member must keep going until I, I press the bell, which I have here, which sounds like this, as you haven't heard it before. Ah. And then a member of the opposing team must take over. This goes on until the natural artistic conclusion is reached, or until none of us can stand it anymore. <laughs> now, Barry, you're going to start the poem, and uh, I think this is in your line, so uh, are you ready to start off? Now? Your opening line is, as Sidebottom and Murgatroyd, the duo toured the halls. <laughs> <laughs> I 
As Sidebottom and Murgatroyd, the duo toured the halls. A great success in every town. They took calls after calls. Upon the stage, they strutted and fret. Their hour in light so bright. But Unfortunately, an incident occurred one starlit night. When they were on the stage of the old Alhambra Bogner. Oh, you're in trouble. Go on, son. <laughs> Bob! <laughs> they travelled light. They had no trunks. They had neither cat nor dog nor any sort of pet with them. Upon that fateful tour, unfortunately, they were very, very, very poor. <laughs> so poor, in fact, that every night when they got home to bed, they took their little legs off <laughs> and then unscrewed a head. <laughs> I don't think I've mentioned before, in fact, I know that it is true. It was a ventriloquist act, and it was a little blue. <laughs> By blue, I don't mean dirty, I mean the colour, so. What's <laughs> she gonna ring your <laughs> I had a ribbon in my hair, I tied it in a bow. What this has to do with poem, I am not too sure. Very. But at least you might say it's not clean, but at least it's very pure. Returning to Murgatroyd and Sidebottom, the tale we have to tell. One week, they turned up there in ghoul. <laughs> the ventriloquist dummy said, I'm sick of being a fool. My father was a sailor, and my mother was a cupboard. <laughs> I think I've sunk myself. Mother, yes, I go. Mother Hubbard. Back to Mother Hubbard. <coughs> Mother bored midnight by night with tales of Mother Hubbard, which weren't very tasteful when you think what Wood has done. <laughs> but be that as it may. <laughs> oh, well. I nearly had a son. But then one night. <laughs> one dark and dreary night. It was full of dread. My legs fell off <laughs> and rolled away right underneath the bed. M Murgatroyd came up the stairs. He'd got back from the pub. <laughs> He'd taken his other leg off and used it as a club. <laughs> As far as I'm concerned, I'm not going to wait for an artistic conclusion. Any oh, conclusion right. is welcome after that one. And we go on now to the blues, uh, in which uh, one side gives the other side a, a topic for the blues, and the other side has to sing it with, of course, appropriate accompaniment from Dave Lee at the piano. Barry and Graham, will you give Willie and Tim a topic for the blues, please? Um, yes, we thought the package holiday blues. Package holiday blues. Did you? Dave, do the introduction.
for my holiday to me or cut to begin. Oh, yeah, 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 man. Yeah, no, I'm not ready. I'll see it again. They said, they said, it's 45 pounds and you won't have to spend a penny extra on anything. After 15 days at Gatwick, <laughs> with nowhere to spend a penny, believe me, I was really all in. <laughs> oh, yeah, you better believe it. Yeah. Right, from audience reaction, six marks for that, and we go on with, uh, for, with William and Tim giving uh, Barry and Graham a topic for their blues. What is it? The Danish blues. <laughs> no woke up this morning. To be or not to be, that is the question. Prince of Denmark, and I got those Danish blues. Yes, very clever that. Eight marks, and uh, you'd like to know the scores, I've no doubt. Now we come to the. Uh... <laughs> Comes the point in the program where I take a back seat uh, so that I can uh, listen to all those announcements which uh, you've been thinking up throughout the program for the arrivals at the booksellers' ball. Who's going to open the bidding? Mr. and Mrs. Furt Book Fair, <laughs> <laughs> and their son Frank Furt Book Fair. <laughs> One for the cognoscenti. Adjust your raiment, pray. <laughs> Monsieur and Madame Impia Press and a disgusting froggy child, Oli Impia Press. <laughs> Sliding by almost unnoticed. <laughs> oh no, he's not. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Chenery and their diminutive student son, shorter Oxford Dick Chenery. <laughs> Please be extremely kind and welcoming to Mr. and Mrs. Zine and their disgusting daughter, Margaret, known as Dirty Magazine. It's uh, come a long way. Raptures of delight, if you will, for Mr. and Mrs. Scabin and their uncle, Tom Scabin. Here on a day trip from France, they caught a packet of Boulogne, but they keep smiling. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Two Cities and their marauding barbaric son, Attila Two Cities. <laughs> a face, unfortunately, not to be seen in our midst tonight. 
<laughs> Mr. Baggers and his cop. Unfortunately, the cop at Baggers. Class. Class, be honest. Class, Will class. you prepare to hurl yourselves around with mirth? <laughs> at the arrival of Mr. and Mrs. Surrey and their dipsomaniac daughter, Alicia, known as Pub Alicia Sorites. Oh. Touch the hems of several garments for the entry of Mr. and Mrs. Clopedia and their naval son, Ensign Clopedia. Cock an eyebrow. <laughs> For Mr. and Mrs. Jonathan Cape and their son, the great S. Cape. <laughs> but at this point, ladies and gentlemen, I have to tell you that uh, Tim and Willie have scored 51 and Barry and Graham uh, 52. Right. And this pretty well brings us up now to the end of the... Mr. and Mrs. <laughs> Ding Library. <laughs> and her son, Len. <laughs> Ding Library. <laughs> Mrs. closely following, Mr. and Mrs. Tents Page and their son Con Tents Page. <laughs> and who's that with them, Mr. and Mrs. Tease Falcon and their daughter Moll? <laughs> Tursellers and their daughter Bestsellers. <laughs> <laughs> who's just had her appendix removed. <laughs> Oh, look, there's the flats with their daughter Pam. Sorry, hum. <laughs> yes, that, that, that entirely reverses the score, ladies and gentlemen. Oh. Then finally, us... snap your garters with ribald mirth. <laughs> For the entrance, all the way from France, of Mr. and Mrs. Miserable and their son, Les. <laughs> And that reverses the score once again and means that we've come now to the end of the programme. We shall see you again next week. Until then, goodbye now. William Rushton, Graham Garden, Barry Cryer and Tim Brooke Taylor were being given silly things to do by Humphrey Littleton, with Dave Lee setting some of them to music. Production was by John Castles. Thank you.